Hey guys, how's it going? Bear with me one second. I am having some technical issues. Right. Can everybody hear me okay? Hold on. How's it going, everyone? Thank you so much for joining me. I am still waiting for Victor to join me. Um, he knew this was happening. So, yeah, apologies to everyone. I'm just going to start shouting at everyone in the chat here. Good to see you all. Leroy, Guy, shout out Arlene, Fifi, Laura. My brother, Disclosure Bro, how's it going? Strong, Wilfred, Jens, Victor, uh, sorry, Vincent, Michael O.D., I see you, Neil, Existential Minds, my boy Dan, The Zignal, good to see you here, guys. Where's the new earphones? Well, listen, I had my new earphones in, but I've got no sound to kind of tell me if they're working or not, so they're here. I might connect. Um, yeah, sorry, guys. Like I said, um, Victor knew this was happening. We've been emailing the last few days. I'm just going to double check my emails to make sure Victor's not sent me anything to say he can't join. So, yeah, sorry, guys. We'll get there. We'll get there. It's all good. If not, you know, these things happen. Um, yeah, boy, these things happen. This is the first time this has actually ever happened to me, Where I think, where nobody's joined me on time so it was inevitable i think i'm on like interview number 39 in three and a half months so you know it's all good it's all good um yeah get andy <laughs> get andy andy's at work at the moment um obviously i don't know if anyone that's heard andy's dropping the 40 minute video in about just over an hour um, I've just come off of an Instagram live with Luis Jimenez from the Unidentified Celebrity Review and Graham Rendell. That was fun. And here we are, guys. So, yeah, nothing back from Victor yet. So I've he's got the link. We'll see if he pops in or not. If not, I don't know. <laughs> do you know what? I can always pop the link in if any of you guys want to jump on. Maybe we can do that. But we'll see. We'll give him a couple of minutes, but if anyone... Just wants to chat or anything in the comments. Any questions? Uh, NYUAP says he's releasing the video. Have you seen it, Vinny? I have seen it. Yes, Mike Lodi, I've seen it. We've been working on this, or Andy's been working on this behind the scenes for months now. Um, yeah, I've been lucky enough to see the video. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens when it's released. We need a lot of analysis doing by independent scientists and things like that so yeah it's going to be interesting it's a good video definitely um i'm just going to turn off some settings on my phone disconnect my airpods sorry guys i um yeah i yeah i didn't uh, predict or think this was going to happen thank you i got 38 people watching and there's nothing happening i apologize guys we'll give it like till 10 past eight it's 10 past eight here in the evening um signal Vinny, is it true that the video is of susan goff taking her lunch break in a saucer spoil it man it's not a saucer though i think it's an ice cream truck or something like that you know it's that same thing that she parks up outside people's houses i think john greenwald is a good person to ask about that <laughs> <laughs> oh man victor you're killing me i was really looking forward to this one as well i hope he uh i hope he joins us no no problem if he doesn't i just uh, it's for you guys i feel sorry for um someone might have to come and save me though let's see okay signal dan are you able to jump on and fill in for an like a conversation dan if you can let me know and i will send you the Streamyard link um if not i'll have to cut the feed because i can't really talk victor where are you right do you know what i'm gonna paste the link the Streamyard link in the live chat i'm gonna in like everyone can obviously try and join but i'm gonna invite signal khan louise jimenez if you want to jump on you can can you guys talk about tricksters 
Um, I don't know about tricksters. That's more of like a skinwalker type thing, if you ask me. I've just had a great conversation with Luis over on Instagram, which I've just posted as well. Have Chrissy ping him. Yeah, that's a good idea. Guys, I'm so sorry that this is happening. Uh, let me just ping Chrissy. She's live right now. Bear with me, guys. Ah, yeah, I knew this was going to happen one day, so it's okay. I ain't going to get mad. It's all good. Is Instagram back online? Uh, it is back online. You, you were hoping it was done for good. It's back online. Um, yeah, it's all good. Right. Uh, I have just posted the StreamYard in the link. Louise, if you have got time to jump on, that would be great. Um, we'll do like five, 10 minutes. If, if Vic doesn't show, then I apologize. Um, it is what it is. You know, you arrange these things and I'm sure life gets in the way or whatever reason, you know, I'm not going to be angry or upset with Victor. So, um, yeah, you know, Alan Kirk. Hello. What type of video are we expecting to see? It is a, a UAP. It's a, it's a flare video, 40 minutes long. I mean, just wait and see. People will, people will make their own minds up when they see it. Some people will love it. Some people will hate it. It's the same that we've always get. You know, someone's always got an opinion. So, Christian, he is live on Messenger. Okay, that's good. Um. I've only communicated with Victor through email. So, you know, we've had quite a few back and forths in the last couple of days. You know, I, I asked him to join me early so we can check settings and things like that. Uh, Christian, if you're able to send him a message on Messenger for me, I'm not on, I mean, I'm on Messenger, but I don't have Victor on it. If you can say something, that'd be great. If not, don't worry. I, I, I'm up for questions. If anybody in this, uh, yeah, look, open yourself up for questions, self-interview. I'm all for that. Uh, what country is this video from? It's from the US. Um, Lara Sandling Bennett. Good to see you as always, Lara. I hope he's able to join. I hope so too. Um, I, I, I've been wanting to speak to Victor for some time. If not, we can reschedule and do it another time. That's all good. That is all good. It's not a problem. I'm hoping that it's just some technical issues. Hey, Luis, my man. Get my stuff together here. What's happening? <laughs> Thank you, brother, for jumping in, man. I no appreciate sweat, it. dude. No sweat. I popped in. I was like, oh, what happened? Victor's not well, answering. That happens. It's the first time it's happened. And then, do you know what? Yeah, it's nearly 40 videos and it's never happened. So it's pretty rare, but it does happen. Sometimes people just either forget or something crazy happens or. It yeah. is what it is. You got no control man. over it. You got no control over it. So, listen, we just had about a half an hour chat for the last half an hour before yeah. I jumped yeah. in. But maybe we should go over a couple of those points. Let's talk about yeah. um, HR 4350 and S2610 because they've yeah. been moving along quite rapidly at the moment. Yeah. Well, it looks like they're going to get signed into law. So, it does. Yeah. Um, they've been approved in both the House and the Senate. And so now it's just waiting on the you know, make, I, I don't think between now and then you're going to get any lawmakers that stand up and go, no, you know, um, it, 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 nobody's brought it up yet <laughs> other than to talk about it in a positive way. Absolutely. So yeah, I think, I think it'll be law come January 1st, 2022. So is that, is that the time scale? I'm not too familiar with us politics and when these mm -hmm. authorizations get. So get. it's just like the last, uh, the thing that gave us the June report, when right. the president signed it on the last day of the year right. and then effective January 1st is when the countdown begun it, because all new laws are usually, that's the way they're done. It, it, they and it start, makes sense. They start as well, the new fiscal get, year. 
Yeah, it makes sense that it will get signed in because we've seen bills get passed where the, the, the figures are really close on both mm-hmm. sides. And this one is, is it's, it's a lot more in favor across the board yeah. on both sides. Well, they're so, both massive bills. Um, I believe even, I mean, 4350, if I'm not mistaken, I could be mixing them up, but they're, they're massive. Um, and so they're both defense bills. So like Jazz was saying on the show a couple of weeks ago, you're not going to get a lot of lawmakers that stand up and go, oh, I want to talk about this spending here in the defense budget because it could be politicized and turned around on that person as, oh, well, they don't support the military. Why are they trying to slash military budget? Right. Um, so I don't think you're going to get a lawmaker that's going to fight this uh, because I, I, I don't think a big part of this new fiscal budget is going to go to the new UAP office. But God, I, that's what I'm curious about. How many dollars are going to be allocated to the to, to in the next four years to this office? Because I'm hoping it's in the billion number. It's got to be more than 22 million. Like, it has to be more than 22 million. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I'm hoping we get somewhere in the 100 million to maybe even billion. Sure. I don't think a billion will be. That's just crazy. Um, but I mean, it's got to be funded for four years. So it's it's. I'm curious to see how big the office is going to be. How many people will be within the office? How many departments will be within that office? It's it's all that stuff gets worked out next year. Definitely. So, and the thing is, is we've got both running parallel at the moment with S twenty six ten HR forty three fifty. One is every ninety days, and one is every year reporting. Do you think mm-hmm. there's a preference either way? Um, I don't know if there's a preference if i had a preference i'd say i'd love to get one every every quarter so four every year and then one big report at the end of the year would be ideal so you get five reports that would be my perfect scenario and then so that way congress and the senate are getting briefed five times a year on this topic yeah listen louise i'm sorry to cut you off victor come in victor has come in Um, listen you're welcome to stay if you want to my friend no gonna crash this show man i just came in to help i just you came are in to a help. legend thank you victor so vigiani owes me one though <laughs> <laughs> but look he's here right now welcome victor stay on. louis stay on that's fine that, no problem with me i tell you what i think you have my favorite last name maybe ever vigiani vigiani yes vigiani <laughs> vigiani it feels like a name that doesn't take any bs <laughs> you so, got that you got that one right lewis <laughs> exactly exactly all right well i'm gonna let you guys get okay, to it thanks a lot um, we'll talk soon yeah please let's have you on i can't wait to talk to you okay take care Ciao. louise Later, thank Benny. you so much man Dude, have a pleasure good day, my man nothing but Great, love for yeah. you thank you man peace victor how are you man sorry about that Vinny. up that i tried hey. i tried uh linking on with the stream yard and then realized that um, it doesn't work with Safari. So here's me trying over and over again. Uh, and then I realized yes. that I think I did this maybe a couple of months ago with somebody else. And I said, I think only Chrome supports StreamYard. So then, uh, and then Chrissy calls me and said, Victor, you're supposed to be home with Vinny. So <laughs> do you know what? I, I hold my hands up. I should probably put that in, in yeah. the, in the emails and stuff because it is a known thing. So I'll take I'll take the blame for that. That's Victor. okay. I, no, not a problem at all. No, I was ready to do it. And uh, I'm just thankful that you're here finally. Yeah, for so, sure. Now, how, how are you, you, man? Are you okay? I'm just fine. Yeah, for sure. Good, yeah. good. I know a lot of people are excited to li- hear from you today. So uh, again, thank you so much. Um, I think the first thing I'd like to do is just get a background on yourself and and your past, your history, even pre ufology and things like that. If you're if you're up for that. Well, uh, where do I start? Uh, uh, I, I guess um, the the whole ufology thing, and I don't like that word. We can talk that uh, talk about that later on, but that's, it started uh, back in 1975 when I first started teaching. Um, I was, uh, as teachers do here in Canada, we have uh, July and August off, so I, I go to my cottage during the summertime, July and August. And at that time, in 1975, um, I went into Barrie, uh, Ontario, and I went to a, a Kohl's bookstore while my wife was shopping. I was just browsing around, and uh, Kohl's bookstores, like a, a, in a Noble bookstore or whatever, in um, right. whatever. A- in any case, I'm just browsing through, and I just see this book on the shelf called Revelations by a man named Jacques Vallée. Never heard of him, never heard of 
uh, you know, anything ufological to that point. I just picked it off the, the shelf inadvertently. And um, I began to read the forward and I said, hmm, this sounds really interesting. Uh, delved into it a bit more and I said, you know, what's the stuff about UFOs? And I had really no particular interest before that uh, to, be, to speak of. So I bought the book and I brought it back to the cottage and I began reading it that night. And it's, it's, it's a very small book. Um, it's, not a, it's not a long tome or anything like that. Right. And I read it and went, whoa. before I completely kind of digested what Jacques was saying. And from that point on, I was completely hooked on whatever he was alluding to. And then from there, I began to get involved in MUFON Canada and different aspects of, of you know, sightings and everything along those lines. And from that point on, uh, I realized there was something really, really dense about this whole issue. And uh, I got involved in sighting reports and, and eventually realized that Doing sighting reports and investigating really wasn't um, uh, what I needed to do. I realized through a lot of other contacts, through people like Richard Dolan and Stephen Bassett and, and other people, that this was a political issue. This was not sort of a lights in the sky issue. And yeah. from that point on, I realized that this was something so politically charged that I had to become uh, an activist or researcher in this whole area and that, that that all began in terms of my radio show program with uh, strange days indeed here in toronto and becoming um in contact with literally every single and i, I underline that every single uh ufo researcher of any kind of repute you know we're talking uh, stan stan friedman all of them because of that radio program I, I, got in, I was able to contact and communicate with and engage with and support all of these really, really powerful um, UFO researchers. So that's how I got into it. And from that, everything else just grew to the point where I'm sort of uh, very dedicated to the whole idea of, of UFO, UAP, ET, whatever you want to call it, disclosure, and getting the government to realize uh, what they're doing and moving forward to awaken journalists and the media like yourselves uh, to the fact that we are being engaged by off-world civilizations and we need to do something about it. So that that's it in a nutshell. The story's a lot bigger, but that's it in a nutshell. No, I mean, that that rings true with myself and mm. many other people I've spoken to. It just, you discover it, it hits home, and it becomes an instant passion project. Like Exactly. It's something you is, can't stay away from. Exactly, yeah. it's It, it fills every waking thought almost sometimes I, <laughs> too, I, I too much so yeah oh absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um that's when i have to argue with the other half sometimes but uh mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> yes i've, I've so, had that discussion too yes <laughs> so in this whole process and over the many decades and that have you ever actually experienced anything for yourself in terms of a, a an et contact no Sighting not that i'm aware of yeah right e et contact no not that i'm aware of uh, at this point, I, I might I might have had something, as many people who get engaged in this do. But I've had uh, two particular incidents uh, of which you want to call it if you want to call it a UFO sighting, that, that's fine. The first incident was something very kind of um, simple. My wife and I were driving down one of the side roads here in, in Mississauga, Ontario, in Port Credit, near the lake, very close to the lake, where there have been reports of orbs coming in and out of the lake ontario it's, it's a huge it's one of the uh, the the the, uh, the lakes here in um in, in canada the great lakes and we right. were driving down the road and all of a sudden late at night right in front of us this for lack of a better word white ball of light zips right in front of us as our car was moving west on on the side road and it lasted maybe oh i don't know eight to ten seconds right. and I drive that road all the time. The heck was that? It didn't repeat itself. It, I didn't know where it went, where it came from, but that was one specific sighting that I, that I had. I've never had that happen to me before, but I know people have articulated that to me, but it just sort of zipped and just, was just gone. And wow. the other incident was um, in 1996, uh, my wife and I went to, uh, on a road trip through Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico. And we landed up uh, just outside of Area 51 for, for six nights. Three nights to begin with. We traveled around and came back for another three nights. 
And on the second of the uh, of the trip, the other three nights, we were in the Tonopah Range, the right. uh, the uh, the area just outside of uh, of Area Fifty One. Yeah. We camped out there for for two night for three nights actually, and I think it was on the second or third night. I forget what it was, and we were driving along the road going back to our little campsite, and in the Tikaboo Valley, and off to the right, which would be the north, is this huge mountain range, and my wife said, "What the heck is that?" And so I couldn't see it because she was on the right side of the car and I was on the left. So we stopped the car, got out, and I'm, I'm abridging this version, of course, Vinny. Sure. Uh, and I, up above the range at about a 45-degree angle was this white dot the size of maybe a dime. And it was it was, it was was night, almost night dusk kind of thing. And it was just there. It wasn't the moon, all kinds of other stars out there. And it was just this white dot. And I looked at it, and then as I looked at it, it began to become diaphanous, you know, like almost translucent. You could see through sure. it, and it got a bit larger. And as it got larger, it began to rotate. And uh, like you can picture a snowflake rotating very quickly. And as it rotated, right. it turned into three um, dots, three uh, orange dots rotating uh, synchronously, okay, faster yep. and faster and faster. And then it coalesced back into the white dot and then just went at virtually light speed away from me. And wow. this whole thing lasted, uh, believe it or not, it was a good, I would say, minute and a half, almost 90 seconds, Vinny. And wow. I just could not believe my eyes. It was just something that, you know, like, what was that? You know, uh, like, like a head whip. But it was really a, an incredible sighting and one that I will never forget. Now, whether was it an ET craft? I don't know. No, but I think what's pretty amazing is that you see it's amazing to see a light as it is, which is anomalous. But the fact mm -hmm. that it then zips off and and, and shows one of the five observables that we know now exactly. know about through yeah. Lou Elizondo, et cetera, that's, that's impressive, man. Um, quick shout out. Thank you for the $5, Blue Eyes. Uh, made it, my friend. Glad mm -hmm. you are here. Um, so, Victor, um, what I wanted to talk to you about as well is we talk about extraterrestrials and we've talked about extraterrestrials for many decades now, but mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on these other hypotheses that have, have, have kind of come in recently where it may be other things like interdimensional or time travelers, artificial intelligence, crypto terrestrial, yeah. the list goes on these days, doesn't <laughs> it? You know? Yeah, it does. It does. Well, you know, I, I, I guess, I guess what you're alluding to is the evolution of how all of this has come about. Yeah. And having been involved in this for well over 40 years now, I'm giving away my age, but um, well over 40 years, I've seen this whole issue evolve from the nuts and bolts kind of view, the dense UFO sightings and these craft and metallic beings or metallic craft of some kind. And then these, you know, the ET beings in terms of grays and all of that. And it's, yeah. it's really become interesting how it has evolved over time with respect to what people are seeing, hearing, and engaging, and what they're perceiving, and what they're speculating upon. that they're, they're, All of those are kind of wrapped up in a, in a very dense ball of wool. And um, uh, we had a discussion the other day with a group that I'm involved with. Uh, what, 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 what is an extraterrestrial? And mm. I, I was very, very clear in saying, we really don't know what they are. Uh, the only thing that we can definitely say is that we are in some way being engaged by some form of, and I'm going to put a label, off-world entities who are yeah. trying to communicate with us in very subtle ways. We don't know who they are. They, they, they could be interdimensional beings. Uh, they could be time travelers. I'm not sure about that one. Uh, yeah. But we do know that we are, in fact, being engaged by off-world civilizations. That is a given. And uh, there's not much argument for me against that 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 hypothesis. So, um, you know, if you want to go in different directions in terms of multi-dimensions or interdimensional travel, I, I would say uh, it's all of the above, or the possibility of it being all, all of the above. The matter is, we are being engaged, and we have to pay attention to uh, who these visitors might be. And there, there's a multiplicity of who they might be. It's not just one race. It's a multiplicity of, of who they might be. And uh, the contactees who I rely on in, in my assessment of what's going on, I rely on them very, very heavily, heavily to, um, to understand what's going on because I've had no direct contact. And in my discussions right. with Dr. John Mack, 
back in the 1996-97 era when when I talked to him in his office, in, in, his, in his Harvard office. Uh, he was of the same opinion because he had written all kinds of books about it and everything that we just don't know. He called it a subtle realm, the subtle realm where these beings are coming from and engaging these these contactees. So um, uh, you, you can you can put a label on it to whatever you want to call it. But language really isn't sufficient to categorize what ex exactly we're experiencing. And I think yeah. the contactees have the best es uh, estimation of, of what's going on. And we need to really pay attention to their experiences to understand what the word extraterrestrial means. So um, it, it's it's a, it's a very deep and a very, very uh, of it to the general public. But you know, that that's what that's what we're all about in trying to make sense of how we're being engaged by these yeah. off-world civilizations. Absolutely. No, that's that a fantastic answer. I think we're all kind of in that agreement where we kind of have to keep quite a few options on yeah, the table until sure. we know anything else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Laura Sosa, thank you for the 499 super sticker. Um, just sticking with John Mack for, for the moment, I just spoke yep. to Ralph Blumenthal recently and it seems oh. like... It seems like the work on John Mack is really having a resurgence and really coming back into the forefront. And I yeah. think it's a good thing because I think the experiences themselves have been taking a little bit of a backseat in the last four or five years, especially since with the Navy and the military side of the subject. So right. uh, what do you think? Do you think that, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, but you think that the experiences do deserve their day, mm -hmm. let's say. Well, yeah, um, I, I've had many discussions uh, with Ralph. Uh, Ralph and I communicate regularly on email, and I interviewed Ralph um, Blumenthal uh, with respect to um, the, the Believer, his book. I, yeah. I'm not sure if you're um, – um, well, thank you very much, Laura. Yeah, thank you, Lara. <laughs> very kind. <laughs> um, yeah, um, in essence, his book, The, the Believer, um, if any of your listeners really want to read something definitive – on John yeah. Mack, um, I really suggest they pick up that book. It's a great read. It's an easy read. Uh, and Ralph had to, it did an incredible job with his research uh, on, on John Mack's life. And there's a lot of very surprising aspects to what John John's life was all about. So I would really highly recommend um, uh, that, they, that they take up uh, Ralph Blumenthal's book, The Believer, on this, because uh, it's a, a great incisive, in addition to any one of John's uh, books. John Max books, but yeah. in in my discussions with John, he uh, he was he was so far ahead of his time with respect to understanding who these contactees or these experiencers were, and all of his work is, is it stays true uh, to this day to this very day that we need to pay attention to who these contactees are and how they are um, being invested with or engaged with whoever these extraterrestrials are. Yeah. So I think he's one of the focal points. Uh, irrespective of the, of the fact that he may be gone now, his work will live on and, and people will begin to understand that, that John Mack was a, was the, as far as I'm concerned, that the focal point of understanding this issue of how we are being engaged by these off-world civilizations. Everything from just, you know, the, the, the arcane and, and very unbelievable aspect of being abducted by aliens whatever the heck that means move through physically move through walls i mean how do you how do you understand that people see beings at the end of their bed they're, they're raised up these beings take them through a wall uh, they, they they have their cells their body vibrate to a point where they can move through a wall taken up into a craft and have uh, some sort of experiments done on them brought back to their bed some women experience um you know, sexual relations and, and a hybrid implantation uh, within them brought back and they, they, they hold the babies eventually after they're born. These things are absolutely unbelievable uh, with respect to what, how the general public would understand this, this whole thing. But John, John was brave enough to bring this all forward. And it is becoming almost right now, as, as I see it, almost a matter of fact the general public will begin to understand this very, very arcane aspect of what John Mack was trying to bring forward with respect to the experiencers and how these experiencers are bringing the message forward that we, I go back to my initial point, how we are being engaged by these off-world civilizations. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's like you said, it's um, he was so ahead of his time 
that we're yeah. seeing such a resurgence right now because it just it, 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 you know it's a time when the work he did then it just fits in with everything right now so it does it does and, and I, I hearken back uh Vinny, to my time i spent um uh, three days with him in his office uh at harvard harvard university wow. and uh yeah it was just an absolute and just sit across uh you know <laughs> uh, it was a very small office I, I was in a chair and he was at his desk and we just exchanged thoughts on a, on a number of different things. He was very interested in some of the work that I had found out about. Um, and this, one of the reasons why I contacted him was a child uh, experiences that children had had uh, with, with extraterrestrials. And I, I pointed out three, three situations that I had been confronted with as a principal of an elementary school with three children who had inadvertently, you know, talked to their teachers or drawn something about their experiences in a forest with, some sort of you know, strange beings. And I, I didn't know what to make of it. And I sent some of the pictures to him. He was extremely interested. In, and that's why I, I went down there to visit him because he was very interested in the artwork of the children and their testimony. Yeah, that's incredible. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you've done a lot of investigating yourself over the years with field research and everything. Are there any cases that stand out to you in particular that you looked into that may not be as familiar to people in the public domain? Um, well, I, th I think that the 1976 um, UFO ex exchange, whatever you want to call it, in in um, in Tehran, uh, with the with the uh, with the jets, uh, the military jets that encountered these UFOs that um, were sighted by uh, Tehran uh, radar, uh, and there was a larger craft above Tehran, in the, just outside in the desert, and that that craft emitted several um, other kinds of smaller craft down towards the uh, the surface of, of the fours the phantom jets uh, went around these the, these these craft near the surface and they shut down all the avionics and these craft were just coming and going all over the place and this the, the Tehran incident for me is one of the signature events as to how um, these the, these craft of unknown origin uh, come and go with impunity first of all they there's no control that anyone has over how they come into anyone's airspace be it the united states the uk canada or tehran and the it was quite clear that these uh, um, f4 jets uh, having experienced very very close encounter with these other balls of light or balls of of craft or whatever they are and their avionics were shut down to me that's one of the very very graphic representations as to what these craft can do and how the military interacts with these things. And Vinny, they are virtually helpless with respect to how they respond to these things because of their avionics being shut down, their radio work and their, their, um, their radar and all of that. So that, that to me is one of the most significant um, uh, physical uh, sighting reports that I've engaged with. And I, I examine it all the time. I interacted with these craft at the time so that that to me is one of the most important ones the Turan UFO if anyone wants to really investigate what's going on there yeah I completely agree it's, it's one of the best cases out there I've had a, a yeah. lot of conversations with a lot of friends about that case absolutely um just changing up the subjects a little bit one thing mm -hmm. that really stood out when I was looking at, at your work and that is the connection between exopolitics and global warming which mm -hmm. is something I'd not really seen before. But when I read about it, it kind of really did fit together. Can you give us a breakdown about, about that? Well, that, that article, I think, if I re remember correctly, being was I wrote that quite a while ago. Yes. And um, uh, at, at the time that I wrote it, it's going to have to, it's going to take some time to kind of, you know, remember all the aspects of it. But I think what I was trying to get at uh, was the fact that, uh, and as, and as I sort of, have evolved with that particular article that you, that you, that you're citing. W what I've evolved from all of that is the whole idea of the technology that's being, um, uh, I guess, how, suggested to us by the extraterrestrials uh, right. about their technology, and from that, what I'm trying to, what I was trying to get at, I, I would suppose, at that time, many many years ago was the yeah. fact that whatever kinds of technology these extraterrestrials or off-world civilizations have, 
um, they have the capacity, first of all, to communicate with us and to talk to us about the kinds of technologies that we're using um, right now in, in, in our own space and time um, to uh, engage what I call extinction behaviors. And those extinction behaviors are the use of fossil fuels, first of all, yeah. okay, um, second of all, uh, the use of uh, nuclear um, weapons and nuclear energy, second of all. And then again, you get into all of the other aspects of how we recognize the effects of fossil fuels with respect to global warming. So it's all kind of kind of rolled together. So if we continue to use fossil fuels as we are right now and not recognizing the dangers of that, uh, we are going to become a civilization at risk, if not eventually experience what I call an extinction behavior. Warm the planet to a point where all the methane gas in the North Pole, for example, will just seep above the ground and, and create so much carbon dioxide in the air. And eventually it's just going to be, as I said, an extinction behavior. Okay. That, that's one kind of slow kind of aspect of what we're seeing happening. And it is increasing in size. And, and, and speed. So that is what I call extinction behavior. The greater threat is the use of nuclear weapons. And if, for yeah. example, um, we have all of these nuclear weapons in the ground uh, in the United States of America, in Russia, in Pakistan, if, for example, uh, one of those countries does something really silly or they make a mistake or by accident they launch one of these weapons, and then as a result of that, other countries launch their weapons in reaction. Um, we will be the harbingers of significant nuclear events spread across the planet that will just go viral. And I'm not just talking about small events here. I'm talking about events that will decimate, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. It will decimate wa uh, Moscow and other uh, cities and eventually uh, those nuclear weapons will uh, create a situation where uh, we, we just can't recover from and it will become an extinction event in in, in a way that um, that, that will just we, we can't recover from it so I guess what I was getting at in, in the whole idea of global warming and, and all of the environmental situation it's all tied together in one big ball yeah. and any any one mistake any one mistake by these nuclear um, by these nuclear powers could result in something like that. But on the other side of the coin, the use of fossil fuels and our recognition uh, or some people's recognition that this is the way to go. You know, we continue to use, to use, you know, fossil fuels to power everything. We, we, as, as soon as we put it this way, as soon as we find out a way that something can move, we just stuff oil down its throat. <laughs> just, just, that, it's going to go that way. And it's, you know, this, this this electric car thing it's go, it's going to increase it, it will kind of um, expand itself but still uh, the, the the vast majority of the population is still going out and buying the big SUVs and and all of that in addition to all the coal fire plants and everything so human beings have fossil fuels and so it's all tied together with respect to uh, how the the extraterrestrials and this is is the experiences are really kind of coming forward with is that we have to remove ourselves from the philosophy that fossil fuels uh, will be sort of a, a panacea of how we engage. And also, too, nuclear weapons will be a panacea of both of them, as far as I'm concerned. And many of us uh, feel that these will precipitate in the long run uh, an extinction event somehow, somewhere, at some time within the human species on our planet. So that's kind of a, a very quick answer to what I wrote way, way back then. Yeah, but I think it's still, I think one of the reasons why I picked up on it, because it still holds fault to this day. It does, in, yeah. In what yeah. you were saying. And I mean, I saw something in the news today about that. I think it was, I can't remember if it was an F-22 or an F-35 had just um, leaped to the point where they can now drop nuclear bombs out of these fighters. It's just still going in no, that negative direction. Yeah, it's, it's madness. It's absolute it madness. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to touch upon with you is, Roswell, because I know that's something that you have touched upon in the past. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about your work with regards to looking into Roswell? Because I think most people are very familiar with it. But is what what got you into it, and where did you get with it? If you know what I mean. Well, um, the, the Roswell case is, of course, a bookmark in history for sure. 
1947, um, as, as all of your listeners probably know, uh, some sort of craft crashed uh, at the uh, De Brazil Ranch in, in New Mexico near Corona. It w- wasn't really yeah. Roswell. It was no. uh, in, in, in a farm just outside of the, the, the town of Corona, New Mexico, which I visited and visited the actual um, the, the bar where Max Brazel bought the uh, brought the actual um, uh, debris and they, they brought they put it on the on the counter and they tried to pound holes in it and they couldn't do anything <laughs> with it. And, and it was just fascinating to actually visit that place. And the new owner, this was back in 1996, as I talked to you about before with respect to my trip there. Uh, so yeah. I visited that area. I also spoke with um, uh, Loretta Proctor, who uh, was one of the people uh, just off the farm that Max Brazel actually brought the debris to her. And they sat around on the front porch uh, and he had it in his hand and, and Loretta saw it. And she was absolutely astounded by it. She'd never seen anything like that before. So in talking to her while I was um, in Corona, uh, I spoke to her over the phone. I tried to get to her house, but because of the rain that had happened uh, a day before, there was a river that was overflowing, so I couldn't get there. So I called her and she said, no, I wow. saw it all. I saw it. It was just this is the most fantastic material. It was like a piece of aluminum, uh, as, as, as thin as a stamp, and you couldn't, you couldn't drive a nail through it. And so wow. um, th- that was all that I needed to take back with me and engage with several other individuals, one namely Don Schmidt, who right. you're probably familiar with. Indeed. Uh, Don and I, I've interviewed Don several times, and he's interviewed well over 600 people uh, with wow. respect to his witness encounters with that. He, he and Don, uh, Don Carey, or Jim Carey, rather, uh, have done all the work in Roswell. So th- that event, uh, as much as people want to... Um, either discredit it or, or speculate that it didn't happen. As far as I'm concerned, the U.S. Army uh, brought in well over 200 uh, officers or military men to scour that area uh, the, a couple of days after. Jesse Marcel, who I uh, uh, well respect, and I interviewed his son, uh, Jesse Marcel Jr., uh, yeah. th- this event was real. It was something that actually ha- happened. And uh, also, too, I mean, the... It, it, the many people who were, who live in Roswell and who lived through this uh, recognize that this was something that the Roswell community went through and a number of people right from the bodies, right from the craft. Um, all you have to do is look at some of Don Schmidt's work and, and read uh, even Stan Freeman's work on this. And you'll get to realize that the Roswell or the crash of Corona, as Stanton Freeman calls it, um, was in fact a real event that began the whole wider global interest in all of that. And once again, I think it's really important to point out, Vinny, that once the, the, the U.S. Army came on to the, uh, to the site and, and um, Colonel Ramey published a, uh, a press release on it, th- the first press release that they published on this was, in fact, the truth. Yeah. You know, flying saucer crashes in Corona. And it was right out there to begin with. And, and then uh, I think the next day or several, uh, 12 hours later, they retracted everything. So I think it's really ironic that the first thing that's published on the truth, and then they retracted it. So you can well understand why it remains as a bookmark with respect to um, it being an, an iconic event in UFO history uh, throughout the United States and well, well deservedly throughout, throughout the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think they were playing damage control for many years after that initial report. <laughs> Without a doubt, yeah. Like you say, telling the truth. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, I wanted to switch around to focus a little bit on Canada itself and the mm-hmm. Canadian military, the Canadian government. How have you found they've been dealing with it in, the, let's say, the past two or three decades and maybe how it's evolved? Yeah, well, uh, Canada has really been very uh, cagey about how it um has been dealing with the with the UFO issue. Uh, the best the best indication that I can give to you is um, my um, uh, freedom of information request. Now, the, up here they're not called uh, FOIs; they're called access to information requests. Right. Uh, so it's, it's the same procedure in the states. Sure. But uh, up here we call access to information. So um, what what I did, um, and I believe it was. to ask um, uh, the Canadian government, the Department of Defense, to release to me 
uh, all of, and this is just one example. I can, I'll just, you know, briefly kind of describe my, my experience to release to me all of the documents that they had uh, that, um, that, that, that told us about uh, Canadian NORAD jets, the, the North American Treaty Alliance that we have jointly with the United States. Absolutely. Uh, of all uh, NORAD jets that were scrambled to chase uh, UFOs. That's where I started. Okay. Yep. So my, my request was please send me all documents about scrambled jets, NORAD, and UFOs. I got a nice letter back and said, well, we don't have anything about that. And as it turned out, I was using the wrong terminology. I, they did not, they did not recognize the term, you know, when I say recognize term UFO. So I said, you know, what terminology should I use? And I got no response. Right. So I, I found out through another conduit information that all I needed to do was use the right terminology and then the request would be fulfilled. And the right terminology was a combination of the terms TOIs, tracks of interest. That was one term. Okay. Wow. Tracks of interest. Okay. And then the other term was unknown tracks. And what was the other term? And just basically unknown. So those three yeah. terms, TOIs, unknown tracks, and unknowns. If I'd used those terms to begin with, I'd have got my results like that. But I just used UFOs, which they didn't recognize. So, it, so what happened was I got a, a series of 100 pages from back from the Department of Defense about my request. And it was everything from, you know, just, you know, citing reports by air traffic control, uh, RCMP reports, and just went, uh, regular citizen reports. Uh, so it, went, it was like 100 pages. But within those 100 pages, Vinny, there were six pages of an air traffic control log that happened in 2001 of right. um, two NORAD jets that were scrambled out of Comox Air Force Base to chase three unknowns. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so they were scrambled and uh, there were six documents. I can send them to you eventually if you want. You can post them on your website. I would whatever. love that. <laughs> so these these um, these uh, two uh, CF-18s uh, were, were scrambled objects and went after them and these objects were just moving at incredible speed uh, and uh, as they got to a point where they uh, were beginning to recognize that they had a signature on their radar they also got a report the air traffic controllers did of a medical evacuation jet uh, coming out of anchorage alaska an lr-35 medical evacuation jet who actually caught visual sighting of these three ufos and they tried to chase wow. it and they reported back to the air traffic control we see them, but we can't catch up to them. And it, that, that's all the verbiage right in the air traffic control report. And then just after that, um, the timing of it is a, a matter of, of minutes, three to five minutes. Uh, right. One of the CF-18 uh, jets um, catches up to these things and they report back to uh, the air traffic control, uh, 90 seconds to target. And then a few lines down again, uh, contact made and then everything wow. else after that everything else after that is redacted <laughs> i'm not surprised <laughs> but am i right in saying that around that time there was a like a protocol in place between the canadian air force norad and the government to actually report these things when pilots saw things mm. yeah this i think they're called the service documents yeah right uh yeah they, they had they had a, a mechanism whereby they reported this but um, it was it was not used um, uh, as it was in this particular incident, I, and I'm not sure of how the service do, uh, service C I R V I S document uh, is used on a regular basis. But it was definitely not used in the way that the air traffic controllers received the information from the pilots of these two CF-18 jets. Yeah. So I'm not sure why, um, but NORAD definitely did um, you know catalog it. But I asked for all of the reports, and I just got one. Wow. And just got one. And uh, whether that that was a mistake or not, I don't know. It, it was just something that uh, um, I could have gotten all of them. Were there right. more? I don't know. Um, but I've, I followed up with them. We're trying to get more from them. But, uh, you know, I, I really don't have the time or the effort or the inclination right now to to do that kind of stuff, because there's so much more coming forward within the political realm 
both the United States and in Canada with respect to uh, how things are evolving. So if I, if I dig too deeply or spend too much time you know, digging for documents, trying to convince government officials, trying to talk to NORAD, try, I, I, I begin chasing my tail. It's just yeah. not a good thing for me to do. And it's not really that beneficial. And, and eventually, even if I did get something, Vinny, even if even if I did, you know, get a you know a, a ball buster kind of document, it really wouldn't change the direction of what the Pentagon has done, sure. uh, what the the Office of of um, the Director of National Intelligence is doing, what the Senate is doing, what Marco Rubio is doing, what Mark Warner is doing. Uh, that that is the kind of focus that I'm involved in right now. So any kind of chasing after documents to me is um, is to me, chasing my tail and, and and a bit of a bit of a waste of my time. Uh, there there may be something out there, and I don't don't get me wrong. There may be stuff out there that's really really germane, but right now the political implications and the way all this stuff is pouring out through the ATIP program and, and all of the other stuff that Luis Elizondo is doing, and even yeah. internationally with respect to how this stuff is playing out, is much more. Um, how can I say intrusive with respect to how we understand disclosure and how the international community and journalists understand what's really, really going on in Washington and internationally. So that to me is the focus of where I would, of where I'm kind of placing all of my cards right now. I agree completely. I'm really focused right now on what we're seeing come out of the house of representatives and the yeah. Senate with HR 4350 S 2610. I mean, exactly. these things, these bipartisan votes have been yep. flying through. Yeah. Dare I say, mm -hmm. You know, so it definitely looks positive for something getting signed in for a permanent UAP office mm. in the future. Do you, I, I just do you hope see that, that happening? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'll just take off on your point. I just hope that uh, this this new um, office of UFO investigation that uh, um, what is his name? Ruben Delego, I believe. Delego, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he put an amendment into the uh, whole um, the authorization, the authorization Act. Act. He put yeah. an amendment to create this office of UFO investigation. Now, um, I don't, I, I really, I don't know just yet. I don't know what to make of it completely, but is this another way of just stalling things because they put forward this amendment and um, the, the the Congress and all of these other agencies have to report on a quarterly basis and eventually yearly for the next four or five years about UFO, their, their investigations. Now, is this yeah. another Project Blue Book that'll just kind of you know fade out of existence, or will this be an authentic investigation over time, where things are released that 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 the Senate Intelligence Committee and people in the Congress will eventually come to the realization that, um, that you know, the Tic Tac videos and all of the other stuff that uh, Luis Elizondo brought forward and other people from within the Pentagon, that this is something in fact that we have to have major hearings about. To me. That's where this is all going. Yeah. And if, if we get congressional hearings on this issue, whereby people like Robert Salas, like um, Robert Jacobs and all of the other uh, launch commanders that were involved at, Mal at Malmstrom Air Force Base and all of the other uh, nuclear installations uh, that were involved in when these missiles were shut down by UFOs, those kinds of things. And, and in addition to that, all the pilots uh, th that have engaged these things the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Air Force, if they hold hearings to bring these kinds of people forward uh, before the Senate Committee on Intelligence to give uh, their uh, this will be an age of enlightenment with respect to authentic testimony by people who have seen these things, they, they've engaged them, and all of the other kinds of things that um, that have been sort of hidden from the, the public eye. So that's where I'm heading with all of this. If this new investigation approach uh, by the Congress leads to hear to public hearings, it's going to be another Watergate all over again. And it's going to make the impeachment of Donald Trump uh, and, and Watergate and uh, <laughs> the Pentagon Papers look like a storybook, uh, you know, a little fairy tale compared to what these witnesses will actually be able to uh, relate to the Senate Intelligence Committee. So that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. No, absolutely. I completely agree. I think it's great that Robert Salas is um, he's going to be talking in the National Press Club in what just under two weeks, October nineteenth. Right. You know that's, that's going to right. be fantastic. Yep. But I hope that is a precedent for what we might see in a year's time, for example, in some public congressional hearings. So mm. I'm fully with you on that. Um, I'm just going to throw up this question, yep. Megan T. Thank you for the five dollars. Uh, does he believe the rumor that Tic Tacs are Canadian? <laughs> wow. Uh, 
Yeah, that's uh, a new tic- one to me, yeah, to be no, honest. No, uh, Tic Tacs. Uh, you mean the candy or, or the UFO? <laughs> I think no, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't want to be trite. No, uh, no. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think that uh, there may. Let's put it this way: uh, with the number of sighting reports that I have read over the years, and uh, and I've done as much investigation as anybody, and having read uh, close to half of the nine thousand five hundred UFO files that are evident on the Canadian um, uh, Library Archives on UFOs, a lot of the reports, I'm being very serious here, Vinny, a lot of the reports that I have read about do describe UFOs as small um, um, elliptical or whatever you want to call it, tic-tac-looking UFOs. Um, they, They seem to have taken that shape in a lot of reports yeah, and you know, a light comes out, and it becomes this or that, or and it, it jumps this way, or it jumps that way, or it moved up and down with a with a with a speed that that's unrecognizable. Um, so I'm not being tug in cheek by saying that some of the reports that I have read, to be really honest with with your with your, um, with the videos that the uh, Canadian Defense Department or NORAD do in fact have as gun camera videos or as reports that, that are very similar to the Tic Tac videos that Luis Elizondo brought forward uh, out of his experience within the Pentagon. So uh, in, in all, in, with no jest at all, I, I'm saying that some of the stuff that's reported in Canada and other places in, in, um, in, in the, throughout the globe, Peru and Chile, are very, very similar to wow. the kinds of things that were reported by the U.S. Navy pilots. Wow, that's interesting. So, Megan yeah, T, it is. It is. Yep. I I apologise if I came across a bit harsh then, but if you've got any information <laughs> or anything that you could give to me to link that, that I'd be interested to see it. Yeah. Um, um, finally, Victor, I think one thing I really wanted to talk to you or touch upon is ISA. Now, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of communication and even met up with Gary Heseltine recently good. Mm-hmm. to discuss it. And I think this is personally, I think this is a really good push forwards for another example of a, a group coming together outside of the government to really push this subject forward mm-hmm. what how did you get involved and where do you see this going in the future well first of all how i got involved was uh, back with my, my good friend don schmidt um don schmidt and i as as i told you earlier i've had yeah. a, a great rapport and, and uh experience with don over the years uh, i i've interviewed him several times on back on radio with strange days indeed uh, with errol bruce knapp and even on my own podcast, and we, we we communicate regularly, right? And I guess it was about a year ago, maybe just a little bit more than that. Um, Don um, called me, and he said it, he he gave me a bit of a background on what on how ICER began, with respect to how the China initiative evolved uh, was was in place way back when, and how it kind of um, it kind of uh, fell through. But he said that uh, there were re, there were re sort of uh, invigorating this initiative and becoming ICER, um, International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. And this this group of people were very, very serious about gathering uh, as many representatives from as many countries as possible uh, to, to build a coalition of countries. And yeah. so they had representatives from Peru, from, uh, you know, Spain and from Portugal, the UK, uh, Denmark, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So they at the time that I spoke to Don initially, I think seventeen or eighteen um, uh, international representatives from those countries, and didn't ask me if I wanted to be the Canadian rep. And I said, my goodness, after you know hearing more about it and, and him explaining the, the the direction they were going, I said, by all means, I will I will more than be, want to become the Canadian rep with that. So that's why I, I fell involved with with ICER and became the Canadian rep. And then from there, uh, you know, it, all of the, um, the the meetings and discussions and the activities, uh, I got to learn that ICER, uh, the, the motivation behind ICER is to move beyond just regular governmental um, uh, investigation about UFOs. Now, there is sort yeah. of a scientific basis about it, but um, what what ICER wants to do is make this an international issue whereby um, all of the countries that are representative, represented, right now I think we have 27 or 28 representatives, and from those representatives, uh, ICER's, one of ICER's main missions is to somehow 
coalesce and be recognized by the government of San Marino, yeah. who, because of that recognition, uh, if we if we if we do get that recognition from from San Marino, we can go forward with um, allowing ICER to be represented or at least make a, a overtures to the United Nations to give testimony about the UFO issue and the whole plethora of information about U- UAPs. And then from that, um, develop uh, some sort of format where the United Nations or San Marino can hold a yearly uh, UFO International Congress to allow um, everyone on the planet uh, to plug into the fact that this is an international issue. And it's kind of, I think, Vinny, it's a great idea because it's moving away from um, the U.S. being the, uh, the, the focal point of the UAP issue. Yeah. Most people think that all the UFO reports and all the same, you know, occur in the United States, which is which is not, in fact, the truth. It's a global issue. Absolutely. So if we yeah, it, now I, I recognize that perhaps uh, the United States Congress is probably at this point in time making the best political efforts about getting this thing forward. And I I do want to, to emphasize that because there's really no other political um, impetus right now other than was happening in the U.S. Congress, the, uh, the U.S. Congress to move this thing forward. And I've got, I've got to give credit to that. But I think the realization has to eventually evolve that this is a global issue that affects every single planet, um, pardon me, every single person on the planet, and, yeah. and that it is something that we must put forward in that way. So I think that's what ICER is trying to do, is make this an international issue that eventually we can put before the United Nations and have an open uh, dialogue about the whole discussion of the UAP issue that that that's where I see everything really going and being as, as effective as we can internationally. Yeah. I think the people have really, since they've seen the emergence of ISO, I think they've really seen the standout that it's taken it away, like you said, away from the U S and onto that global scale. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. excited yeah. And, and, and sparked a fire in a lot of people. So yeah, I think that is, is exciting. Yeah. So I completely agree. And I look forward to seeing what happens. Um, mm-hmm. But listen, Victor, before we go, have mm-hmm. you got anything planned coming up in the future for yourself personally or, or anything like that? Well, right now um, I'm working like hell to get, to get uh, Bob Salas on the map, uh, supporting him, and getting his whole uh, press conference out into the open. And just today, I'm, I'm going to be um, releasing this in probably a few minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be suggesting uh, that as many people as possible communicate with journalists about the press conferences coming up on October 19th. Uh, yeah. I just did an interview with Bob Salas um, last week. I'll be releasing that, hopefully, if I can get it edited uh, by the end of this week uh, and getting that out. I think it's really important that everybody realize what Bob is doing here. Bob is yeah. putting together a, a coalition of of, uh, of of people who have, are direct witnesses about the the nuclear missile shutdown and why uh, these extraterrestrials, whoever they are, are are just simply disabling these missiles rather than shutting them down. That's that's a really really key component of what Bob is doing. Why are these or these uh, craft? just disabling these missiles rather than destroying them. There's another intention there. There's an intentionality uh, by these extraterrestrials to, to, to send us a message that we have to eliminate nuclear weapons. So uh, right now, that's one of the things that I'm really, really focusing on and trying to get as many journalists as possible to, uh, to recognize what Bob is doing and to actually attend the actual press conference. And I've got about 12 uh, Washington correspondents from everyone from the you know, New York to the New York Times to the uh, Detroit Free Press, uh, the Chicago Tribune. They each have uh, Washington bureau representatives in Washington D.C. And as you know, wow, Vinny, to, yeah. this this press conference will be at the Washington Press Club at, that yeah. that also housed the 2013 um, uh, Stephen Bassett. Uh, um, uh, coalition the that he had the, the hearings yeah. on disclosure, right? So in the same building. So I, I want to get some of those people who are Washington rep. I want to get them in that building to listen to to all of the um, uh, to all of the launch commanders that were there and all the other witnesses and read the actual affidavit. I want these people to get in that building to hear the testimony. And once they realize that Bob Salas is authentic and all the people that that did engage uh, with the the shutdown of all of those missiles multiple 12 15 of these things at a time they're going to have to shake their head and say 
what's really going on here. And at their risk, if they deny it, uh, they will be responsible for continuing the cover up. So I'm going to lay it in their hands, lay it on their shoulders to get there and to understand what the hell is going on. And they have to realize that what went on was real, it was authentic, and then we are in, in being engaged by off-world civilization. So that, that to me is the, is the biggest impetus right now that I'm working on. Now, personally, and I have my own podcast and I'll be doing other interviews, but right now that's the focus of, of, my, of my activities. That's fantastic. And I completely agree. I've been promoting the the stuff that bob salas has got coming up good, as well good. on my own my own channels and Please. where where will we be able to hear this interview that you've just done with robert himself uh, is that on your podcast where can we find that uh eventually if you go to zland communications uh if you just google zland z-l-a-n-d communications uh, right now i the first thing i have up there is a book review uh by um the book written by um richard o'connor New, uh, UFOs and nuclear weapons and a new age of reason. I interviewed uh, Richard just last week. I just published part one of that interview. So if they want to go to UFO to uh, Zeland communications and listen to that interview. And then I I've just actually, I, I was in the middle of editing it last night. So I'm going to have Bob Salas's interview up and ready to go. Hopefully uh, by Thursday or Friday of this week, right in time. They can go to that communication and listen to that too, probably by Monday of next week, if not sooner. Lovely. I'll make sure that I pop the links in the yeah. description of this video below so that everyone that watches it can go ahead and just click it and go straight there. So, yeah, yeah I think that's yeah, very important. Sure. Well, listen, Victor, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really do appreciate it. I've had a fantastic time talking to you. So, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you very much for your interest. And I really like your t shirt. <laughs> oh, well, I thought I wore this in honor of yourself, obviously, you know, I had to, I had to do it. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Thank well, you so much, Vinny. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, hopefully we'll get to speak again in the future. That would be fantastic. Yeah, so take sure. care. And maybe Enjoy after the, the after day. the press conference, after the press conference, we can get together again and see what, uh, what the fallout is and, and how we can make sense of it. Okay, thank you so yeah, much, we'll, Vinny. We'll take touch care. base, definitely. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Guys, thank you so much to everyone for watching. I really appreciate uh, you guys being here as always. Thank you to the guys for the super stickers and the super chats. Uh, I hope it answered all your questions. And um, I'll be here at the moment. we got one week before my next interview, but Mr. Lou Elizondo is going to join us again, um, which is going to be fantastic. So, guys, thank you so much, and I will see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.